Ecclesiastes 4, 2. Need somebody to get Ecclesiastes 4, 2. I also need someone uh, to get Matthew 25, verse 46. Am I seeing double back here? Yes, you are. Yeah, man, y'all should see. If you look from where I'm looking, you look like double. <laughs> hey, how you doing, sis? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Glad to have you. Yeah. And then um, we'll get uh, Luke 16. But now, what I want us to answer a question oftentimes, and I think the, uh, the whole witnesses also teach as well, um, from this scripture. Somebody read Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5. Please. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Alright, so now, when I say the Jehovah's Witnesses, they teach that this was called annihilationism. Annihilationism. And what they believe is, once you're dead, you, you're not conscious of anything. You know nothing, so there is no need to think about eternal uh, damnation. All of that is, is it just doesn't exist. All right, um, but I want us to look at what the scriptures say. Um, let's go to Matthew twenty-five, verse forty-six. Can somebody read that for me, please. Matthew twenty-five, verse forty-six. And these will oh. <laughs> And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right. Uh, now, this is then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay. So now every person is going to spend eternity somewhere, whether with God in heaven or apart from Him in hell. Right. And each person. Now the thing is, will each person have feelings? Will they? Will they have? Will they? Their senses all still be intact? Well, let's read from Luke chapter sixteen, uh, verses nineteen through thirty-one. So again, let's now. Solomon says the dead know nothing. Now we're going to tie all that together here in just a moment. Has everybody, anybody ever heard that before? That the dead know nothing. All right. So. Uh, when we get to Luke chapter 16, somebody go ahead and read uh, verse 19. Start reading verse 19. There was a certain rich man uh -huh. <laughs> who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Mm -hmm. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, mm -hmm. full of sores, who was laid at his gate, mm -hmm. de de desiring sorry, to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Now, this is important that what she's reading now, this is when they are alive and they're living. They're living uh, in existence just like you and I. So these two are alive. Okay? Go ahead and read. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Mm -hmm. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. Now hold on. Now they die. That means they leave this existence here, right? And it says the, the Lazarus was carried up into Abraham's bosom. Now who was Abraham called in scripture? Father. Huh? Father of who? 
when he also called the father of the faithful. Father of the faithful, right? Of the faithful generation. So when it says, when you see there is the Abraham of bosom, that 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 uh, that meaning, that phrase right there, bosom, it, it, it teaches uh, a very intimate relationship. So it's saying that Lazarus, though he was poor, though he had no earthly possessions, the one thing he did have was an intimate relationship with the father of the faithful. The father could be a faithful, a faithful member of God's family, meaning faithful member of God's family, meaning those of the Jewish people at the time, right? So he was, we know that he was, well, we don't know he was Jewish, but we know that he was faithful, meaning that he was faithful to God. He was a faithful child, right? And so it tells us there that the faithful, there's something that's going to happen with the faithful. What's going to happen with you? Well, you just Father and Abraham. If you have an intimate relationship, other words, in other words, if you are faithful, even unto death, there's a place that's waiting for you. Right. So then, uh, when it says the rich man, though he had everything earthly, there's something that he did not have. He didn't have to have that intimate relationship. So then, so then we see they were in earth together, on earth together. But then when they died, they went from earth together, and then they went into this place, but then they split. All right? And so the bosom of Abraham, and I want us uh, to see this, and I will explain it here in a second. But, well, yeah, I'll explain it now. So... What I want you to see here, you to put it on the board. You have, okay, you have this place, all right, this here, and then you got that there and that there. Alright? Okay, and you have you have this is this is this is this here, this light here, right? And then you got this one, that. I should put those arrows on the outside. All right, so now, this thing here, Hadean realm, place of the dead. All right, you have here, these are people. Right, now people make a decision. Right here, what you would put here is, um, just make it real simple, steps of salvation, right? So those who take the steps to be and, and, and also faithful, right? When they die, because here's death here. So when they die, they will go to um, alright? That's where they're going to go. Those without the relationship, those who um, reject so is the bosom of Abraham, is that just a place of comfort? Well, well I'm, I'm going to show you. Hold okay. on. Now, those who reject salvation, right, those who reject and never have that intimate relationship, they're going to this place, uh, and it's called Tartarus, all right, or a place of torment. Okay. Now, this here, this exists between where we are, and where heaven is, and where 
Calvin. This here is judgment or the second coming of Christ. Okay? Does that, I mean, other than not being able to read my handwriting, does that make sense? What we got going on there? So here's where we all are right here. We're living, right? Because we obeyed the gospel, then our destination, if faithful, when we die, we can be here, right? However, if we are, if we reject salvation, then when we die, we end up here in torment. Now the key, if you still read, go ahead and keep uh, reading there, reading there. Uh, pick up the last verse you just read. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now let's see that. Being in torment. Now, how does one know they are in torment? You mean once they die? Yeah. How would you know that you're in torment? But what's going on that, that keeps you from being, that, that lets you know you're in torment? You're not at peace. Not, well, how do you know you're not at peace? I, darkness. Um, Natural pain. Your mind tells you everything, right? So that's already telling you that there is going to be some consciousness because he was conscious of the fact that he was in torment. Next thing, it said he looked up. He could see Lazarus. So then we have the consciousness. We have that he can see, right? We know that he can feel. So we will, we will see all five senses because he will speak to Abraham. Abraham will speak back to him. So we know that he can see. We know that he can speak. We know that he can hear. We know that he can feel. And he, had, and he was conscious of all of this. And we know also he can feel because his tongue, he says, send Lazarus to dip his finger and just and, and put his finger in water and just cool my tongue. So he knows that he's burning. Right? And in torment, that's the opposite of peace. So he has no peace. Can't rest because of what's happening to him. And scripture teaches us that, that, that the, the soul, once it leaves the body, is never going to die. Now, it will experience the things that you would believe in this life that would bring death. But like the scripture says, where the worm never dies. So there's this perpetual eating, pestering, bothering, devouring for all of eternity. And you experience all of that. Right? So then this place here, now the Catholics like to call that. They like, what do the Catholics call that? Purgatory. They like to call it purgatory. But we know it as the place of the undead. And also, Jesus referred to it, he referred to half of it as paradise. Because remember, he told the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. He did not say heaven. He said paradise. Different place here. So then, let's look. Somebody read for me what you have in Ecclesiastes 4.2. As you're going over there, this place is called uh, you got there, uh, the rich man was in torment in, 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 in a place called, this is Hades. Hades is the Greek god of the of the dead. This is where he gets the name Hadean realm. Alright? Um, and, and he can talk, he has the ability to he even has the ability to remember. Right? Because what does he do? 
he, he says, let me go back that I might be able, right? He's remembering his brother, his brothers, right? Then he has the ability to reason. We see him reasoning because he's trying to work a deal with, with Abraham, right? So then, uh, what's the, uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 2, 7? Wherever I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. All right. So then Solomon states that the dead, in a sense, are happier than the living. They're happier than the living. Now, how is that possible? Well, here's the difference. When a person is, is, is when you're living, you are able to experience all the things of this life, right? You can know all the wonders. Notice what I'm saying. You can know all the wonders that this earth, that this earth holds, the life holds. But when you are dead and no longer in this existence, will you, will you know the joys of living? Be more alive than over there. No, just let's not make it complicated. While we're living, we know the joys, right? But when we die, will we ever again know or experience the joy of living? No, not over here. Right. We will never know that experience again. Once you're gone, you're gone. Right? Now remember what Solomon was writing about. This was old Solomon. He's reflecting on life and he's talking about the purpose and what you should do as you're living and as you are under the sun. Right? Under the sun is referring to life. As you're living. Under the sun. And do you see that phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes over and over again? Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. So he's talking about all the things that one is doing. And when he's talking, Ecclesiastes is written from an earthly perspective. So he's talking about living life. Remember, uh, 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 he also wrote, what was the other book that uh, Solomon wrote? Songs of Solomon. And you could go to the obscure. What else? Proverbs. Proverbs. He wrote Proverbs. Now the word proverb means to live skillfully. How to live skillfully according to the wisdom of God. God teaches how to live this life skillfully. So now, wouldn't it, now doesn't it make sense that, that, that Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes, what does the word Ecclesiastes mean? Anybody remember? It means preaching. So he's turned back and he's preaching and he's exhorting and he's telling them and trying to get them to understand how to live this life while you have it. Right? All right, does that make sense so far? As you read through the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, he's always telling you how to enjoy the opportunities of this life. Because he says now once you're dead, uh, the opportunities no longer exist. You will no longer, you will never again know. So that's part of, the, that's part of Ecclesiastes 9.5. The dead know nothing. They know nothing of this life. Because they're gone. Right? They're gone. And then, and then we go on a little further. Somebody get a Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 for me. Because Solomon is also saying that if you're smart, if you're wise, you will live this life with God. Because life without God can only be, what does it say in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2? Vanity of, oh, 
There it is. You said vanity. And the word vanity means empty. Useless. It, it has a point. So to live life without God is empty. You may have a lot of things, but still have an empty existence. Right? So when we look at Lazarus, uh, Lazarus didn't have a lot of earthly things, but what he did have was an intimate relationship, which is to be a, which is to be valued above all things. The rich man did not have this, but had everything on earth. But in the final analysis, where did he end up? Yes. Of what was going on, he knew where he was. I'm talking about on, on, on the earth. 
in right. the world. But that's what he was talking about. The, 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 the rich man was talking about what's going on on earth. Remember, he said, I want to go back so I can tell my brothers not to come here. He knew the life he led, knew the life they were leading. He wanted to be able to go back and change that. If but that could. was from his memory of what it was like on earth. But he didn't. He wasn't able to look upon the earth at that time and had any knowledge. No, he's looking. He's looking back. He's looking back. So the thing is, they know and remember. So they know nothing of the present rewards. Uh, they know nothing. They get not getting any rewards. They don't know any of that anymore. Now, if we go to Ecclesiastes nine verse five, I want you to break this thing down a certain way. All right, uh, and I want you to see the verses that go together. Now, I want you to put an A, the letter A next to, uh, for the living, no, they will die. The living, nine verse five, for the living know that they will die. All right? Now, the next verse put a B, I mean, not verse, the next part of the verse where it says, but the dead know nothing. Put a B there. And then put a B next to the part that says, they have no further reward. Now, do you see why he put a B next to them? Because uh, when it says the dead know nothing, who is it talking about? Who's the subject of that sentence? Dead. The dead. So they have no further reward is talking about who? Dead. The dead. Now, when you get to the part where it says, and even their name is forgotten. Right? So so then what we're talking about there, we're making parallels. Right? And so then we have the living know that they will die. And then the last, the last line, and even their name is forgotten, I want you to put an A right there. So you have A, B, B, A. A, B, B, A. And so what you have is the second and third lines lay down uh, what you call associated ideas. And they parallel each other. They parallel the fact that the dead know nothing and the dead can no longer enjoy, they can no longer enjoy uh, the, the activities of this life. That's how it works together. So you see in A, the living know that they will die. You see the living going to death. Then B goes deeper into the death, talking about death. Then, then, then the next B goes even further into death saying that they know no further reward. And then A refers back to the living existence and how their name will be forgotten. I know that seems, that's stuff that, you know, preachers and all that stuff do. But it's to show you the associated parallels of the, of the whole, of how it's broken down. All right. So. So the last A is their memory is forgotten. Right. Remember who they are. And he said, well, who is they? It's talking about when they were living. But now they're dead. So when it says the dead know nothing, it seems to be, a it seems negative in a sense when you look at it that way. But there's also a positive with that, and you see that in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Um, and, and where it talks about that to understand that life life is, is short and you should live it full but if you're going to live a full life 
It's a short life. And if you want the fullest life, live a life that honors God. See, when people say live life to the fullest, oftentimes they're talking about material things. No, the fullest possible way to live life is with God, is to live honoring God. That's living life to the that's living life like it's gold. Because you have the gold standard in your life. Jill Scott wasn't talking about that. She was speaking from a humanistic standpoint. But when you have the gold standard, which is God himself and God's golden rule, now you can live life like it's gold. Does that make sense? Anybody have a question? So he wanted to go back and be able to give them uh, a warning. He wanted to give them a warning. You know, we see this in Ecclesiastes 9, uh, 5 through 6. Uh, it says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward, for their memory of them is forgotten, as well their love, as their hatred, as their envy is perished long ago. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Anything that's done in this life, they have no more portion of. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 9, 5 through 6. So, not looking down upon us. No, I want you to understand is, when a person dies, his ties to the earthly environment separate. Seven, right? He has no awareness of the happenings, any of that that are transpiring. So when you hear people often say, well, I know mama is looking down, or I know daddy, or I know cousin is looking down, all that kind of stuff, that's not true. Because all they know, or what all the dead can do, is remember. But they don't know what's happening now. Right? So they're seven. All right, and uh, he has no further rewards, nothing is uh, received. And then also, their former earthly possessions, good or bad, are interrupted by death. So whatever you had coming, they, 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 they know nothing. They're separate from the earthly environment, and that's important to understand that. All right, now, and it's important because, see, the Catholics often fight to defend uh, what's called prayer for the saints. Because they believe that once a person is dead, that you can pray for them. And the whole point of that is to be able to pray them out of purgatory, or if they are in torment, to try to pray them over into paradise. And that's just not possible, because once they're gone, they're gone. Right? So they are saved. You know that the Catholics will... Um, uh, they teach that you can be prayed out of that at a cost. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's called uh, indulgences. Yeah. Indulgences. But the indulgences came to be because you had a pope who was building a cathedral. He ran out of money and was trying to figure out a way to make more money to, to continue this cathedral. And so he came up with the idea of 
uh, having those intercede for the dead, the priest and, and all that. So people would come and bring money and, and say, could you pray, grandmama or whoever, out of that part into the other part? And that was part of what helped to drive Martin Luther out of the Catholic Church, and it was part of his 95 Theses that he tacked on the door and was excommunicated from the um, uh, Catholic Church. He never intended to start the Lutheran Church, but those who followed took on his name, even though Luther himself had said, don't follow me, there's nothing I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. So the Lutheran Church came to be as a spinoff from the Catholic Church. It, he was trying to reform rather than restore. Those of us who are Christians, New Testament Christians, our goal is to restore, not reform. Because what he was trying to reform, see, if you start with a, a false, um, if you start with a false, uh, false what? Foundation. False foundation, then you'll never, it, can't, it can't be true because you started off false. You have to go beyond the, the presupposition in order to find the truth. You can't reform what's already wrong. And to give people an understanding of, you know, what I was saying about praying them out, um, you know, my first experience with pur understanding purgatory was a neighbor lady who paid the priest $15,000 to pray her, yeah, to pray her son out of purgatory. And we're going back 40 years. I remember we'll, we'll pray her son out of, out of torment, out of... This place here. Yeah, she paid him fifteen thousand, and the priest came back to her and told her that she, they needed more money. <laughs> now, 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 hold on, because now we might chuckle, right? But you gotta remember, this is what these people. You gotta when you hear that, you gotta go directly to Acts seventeen, and you gotta say what Paul said. In the face of their belief, you must say, "I see." that thou art a very religious people. See that? You don't make fun, but you hear it, you accept it, you respect it, but what did Paul do? I see, even though he saw the altar of the unknown God, he said, I see that you are a very religious people, but let me tell you about the God that sustains and maintains all, who does not live in temples built with men's hands. He doesn't depend on man for anything. He is the sustainer. Remember that. It, it, we got to be careful not to take that position. Because remember, this is all, in most cases, these people have ever known. And it, it, was, it was very, it was upsetting and disturbing to her. And she was, you know, very, very distraught. But she didn't have any more money. But this is her son. So. And there's nothing she can... And that's the thing that we have to understand. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, is the question will be, well, how can they, um, how can they rest? That's the thing. If a person, um, as they used to say, uh, five seconds after death, you know, five seconds after death, when they open their eyes, when they open their eyes and realize they're in torment, no, they won't rest. That's the whole part of punishment. You'll know no rest. So on this side, we talk about rest in peace. That's just for our emotional uh, comfort. That's for our benefit. But the thing is, if they haven't lived a life faithful and knowing God, they know no peace. So how is hell going to be any worse than the uh, place of torment that they're already in? Much worse. That's the, see, that should help us to say, I don't want to go to hell. Because see, that's not even hell. That's just torment. 
So you, so there are some who went that direction that never have any peace, even after death. They're not at peace. They're not at peace, but now they're waiting. Where are they? There, there, there used to be a song called "Somewhere in Paradise." You know, where they're waiting on judgment, waiting on Christ to come again, so they can see where their soul stands. And it says some, and it says some are troubled and can't rest. If in their life they haven't done their best, but the rest are in peace, perfect peace, waiting on God, right? So then the judgment comes, the second, the second coming of Christ comes. Then, here's the thing, nobody goes into hell, I mean hell or heaven, nobody enters until they've been judged. And and Bible tells us in the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 11 that they're not going to receive, those who live prior to the cross won't receive a promise without us, right? They're not going to get it before us. Everybody get it at the same time. So he will judge them, remember? Because if, if they go straight to either place, then what's the point for the line, for the, for the sheep and the goats? What's the point for that, right? So they're going to all be judged, and nobody enters either place until they've been judged. Now remember, hell was supposed to be an empty place except for Satan and his angels. But he's duped some people, he's distracted some people, and he's going to take them with him. Now somebody might say, so you're telling me heaven is empty. No, I'm not telling you that. God is there, Jesus is there, and all the heavenly hosts are already there, and they're awaiting the faithful from earth to come on. Right? Yes. Okay, what about when it says um, Peter is at the gate or something like that? Um, no, Peter has a. Uh, you trying to go into Paul in the different heavens and all that? Yeah. See, see what you're doing. Uh, see what you're doing, sister. Lizzie. You don't ever want to stay with the class. You always want to run somewhere else. You can't just soak this in and get this. You want to go other places. But okay, here's the thing. Here's <laughs> heaven. Right? Heaven. Okay? Then, then, then you have the heavens. Right? Now the heavens are the things, the heavens are what we can see. You know, when you're going up into the sky and you're passing the different levels and all that. The heavens which were created, the stars, the moon, all the stuff that we can see. And so, so uh, you know, Paul says, I was caught up in the heavens, and then I had a vision of heaven. Right? So he was having a vision. He was right there. And but see, and he's in between because see, earth is here. And then you have the heavens that separate earth from heaven. Because there's nothing higher than heaven and nothing lower than hell. Right? So does that, that make sense to everybody? Right? Because uh, if you're not careful and you get caught up uh, and you, you, you're talking about the Iliad and uh, not the Iliad but Homer when he wrote about uh, Homer wrote the Iliad and he wrote uh, the other one where he talks about the different, the different levels of hell the different circles of hell and all of that. He was a philosopher. So uh, this is what we have here. So does, this, does that make sense about the dead knowing nothing? No. Yes, ma'am. No? <laughs> it, it does. It, it's a little confusing because I'm, I'm still confused at 
that circle. Let's go ahead and ask about that circle. Yeah, so circle I'm, question I'm confused. I have. I'm, I'm confused. I, I'm clear. On either side of it. Mm -hmm. I'm clear on the earthly side and how you can go in either direction. I'm clear on the day of judgment. I'm clear mm -hmm. on that. But all that stuff in the middle is confused. It's still confused. Because you know what? This is, here's what this is called. This is torment. It's not hell. Hell and torment, two different things. Yes. But while I'm inside that circle is where my question is. Like, so if I'm on that upper part, which is the better part, I know for sure I'm getting into heaven, or I yeah. might know that I'm getting there. If I'm in a torment, I already know I'm going to hell, so there's nothing I can do, right? Right. Okay, that's fine. So that's why I said, you're never, there are some people that are never at peace, they're and never you, at rest. And if yeah. you, think about it, if you look at Luke 16, right, notice the person who you never hear talking. Who do you Lazarus. never hear from? Lazarus. Lazarus. You know what? He's at rest. He's at rest. Right? But you hear from the rich man because the rich man is filled with anxiety. He's all these kind of things. And he's trying to change his eventual uh, destiny, but there's no way to do it. He even looks across the gulf and Abraham says, son, they can't come down there and you can't come across here. This gulf is too wide. That's torture too, that you can see it. But can't go. So is the sinner of the Right, right, right. I, I meant to, I, I need to put a double line in. So then you got this thing here, and this is the gulf that's been fixed between the two that no one can cross, right? And so imagine, uh, imagine Moses. Imagine Moses, how he felt when um, the Lord took him up there, let him see the promised land, but he said, son, you're not going. See, some people, don't, they don't see that as any kind of punishment. But remember, he had given his whole life to try to lead the people, and he lost it in a fit of rage. And so now he can see it, but he's never going to get there. Not in this life, but God in his kindness and compassion, when he died, because what did God do? When he died, God buried him himself and let nobody ever find his grave. And so then when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, who appears? His servant, Moses. He let him come across in the spiritual. But he was not going to make it in the physical. See? So when we talk about this torture, this is, think about it, it's the torture of knowing that you can see where you could have went, but you ain't going. It's the torture of knowing where you are going and ain't a thing you can do about it. It's the torture of knowing how bad it is and it can only get worse. That's torture. That's torture. You know that I'm, if I'm in torment, it's only downhill from here. See that? It's different. Hell is different. So and, 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 and not to mention this. This is temporary. This is forever. See? This is temporary. And, and here's another example. Take for instance, like when somebody gets picked up by the law. Right? Before your day in court, they put you where? In jail. Well, I have to talk about They put you in the county. They haven't been in the county. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so. Just losing, using, using the huff all that time. You never saw the county? No. <laughs> the huff will put you in the county. Now. But the thing is, the thing is, so before you go to court, they put you down at the county. 
That's like a holding place. And they hold you there until your day of, uh, of, of judgment. Then you go to the court, and then the judge decides if you go into the pen or if you're going free. See? It's like the county. But while you're in the county, you're in the holding place. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. You're looking in the county. Out, looking out the window at paradise. Right. Think about it. You, you're in the county now. You're in the county jail, right? You're in the county. And here's the thing. You know that they got the car. They got the drugs, they got you on film, everybody you knew told on you. You know they got you dead to rights. You know you're going to the pen. Torture. Torture. Because once I get in the pen, I'm going to serve a long bid. I don't want to go to the pen. But that's where you're going, because of what you did. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So. No, I'm just thinking about how, and you know that you can be free. You could have been free from that. Like she said, like you're looking out or you're thinking back to like what I could have did Couldn't to done. change it. Yeah, could have, would have, should have, and, but I can't change it. Think of the bitterness you feel with. Think of the bitterness. We experience bitterness in this life when we look back at some of the decisions that we made and we could have done better. This didn't have to go this way. But it did because of the decisions I made. And that will dog you. Sometimes it'll dog you all the days of your life until you learn how to deal with it properly. Which is actually part of the lesson we were doing today when it talks about how to deal with worry. You know, when you're tempted, uh, when you're tempted to worry and how to trust God through that. The way you trust God through worry is by simply, number one, do you really trust him? So then when he says that I'm providing for you, doing for you, I'm ahead of you, I'm taking care of you, do you believe him or not? Do you give him the stuff or not? Do you leave it with him or put it down for a minute, pick it up, take it with you or not? Do you take a moment to look at yourself and say, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about getting that and I'm worried about this, but have I taken a moment to know or understand that God knows me and God knows my circumstances better than I do? He has a better point of view. He sees it clearly. He's not drunk on selfishness. He's not drunk on needing acceptance. He's not drunk on it. He's very clear and sober, and he loves me from that perspective. Therefore, he's not going to put anything in my life or allow anything into my life that's going to disrupt me, especially when I look at the things that he just brought me through. He knows what I can handle and what I can't. But we sit there, we worry, we worry, which is actually just us really trying to force our will and have control in areas where we have no business having control. Right? Let me give you an example. Take for instance, because uh, I, you know, I, I like to use me and Rashidi because we raggedy together. So because of our heart issues, okay, let's say that, okay? Let's say I have these heart issues, congestive heart failure. Let's say I'm not taking care of it, right? I'm, I'm eating what I want, doing what I want, all that, right? But at the same time, I'm asking God, God, I want a wife. God, I want a wife. God, I want a wife. Anybody see a problem? You can't Think about it now. I want a wife, right? But if I'm not taking care of my issues, then I'm in bad health. If I'm in bad and worsening health, how fair is that to her? Because then I bring her into a relationship just to leave her. Because I 
didn't want to be a good uh, a steward of the health God left me with. I'm not doing what I need to do. Not to mention, I can't function in the marriage in terms of uh, whether it's children or whatever. Can't run and play. We can't go here, can't go there, can't do any of that kind of stuff because I haven't taken care of myself. So then what I do, I put a weight around her neck and the marriage already can be challenging because you're growing to know another person, right? It makes it even more difficult. Yes, ma'am. Would it also be an example of um, you not taking care of your health to show what you might not do for her as well? You don't take care of her health? Would right. You see, if I won't take care of me, how am I going to feel like taking care of her? Does that not make sense? Because, you know, when we don't feel well, we get, we get irritable, we get grouchy, we get all these kind of things. And that makes for a horrible existence. And you're selfish. And selfish. You know, because it's always about me and what I'm going through. So here I am demanding and asking and saying, God, you're cheating me, but I'm not doing what I need to be doing to prepare for that blessing if he sent it. So I ought not be sitting around whining to people that I know and all over Facebook and doing stuff like that, saying these kind of things, and I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. Does that not make sense? I'm sitting here, I want somebody to have my heart, but I'm here drowning my heart. Killing myself. And if the two of us become one, not only will I kill me, I'll kill her. That ain't right. That ain't right at all. So what I need to do is say, Lord, 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 if this be your will for me, then Father, continue to improve uh, to, to show me where I need to get better. Father, show me how to get more humble and see beyond myself. And Lord, show me how to, that's where I need to be focused on getting ready for it, if that's his will. And even if it's not, guess what? I still benefit because I'm healthy. So what good is it if I'm not doing what I, not just physically, but not doing what I need to do mentally and emotionally and spiritually in order to be what I need to be. Because I've got a responsibility. See? So that means if, if, if we're not taking care of we, then how do we have the right to be demanded anything from God and then have the audacity to say that he's shortchanging us? Huh? That's real immature for me to sit there and say, he doing me wrong, he doing me wrong. No, I'm doing me wrong. Right? Because I'm going to have a responsibility to take care of her. But if she's looking at me and I'm not taking care of me, I'm like, I, no, I just got you so you can take care of me. <laughs> See, then it's just one way. It's no good. Does that make sense? So ain't no sense of sitting around worrying about that because I'm not taking care of what I need to take care of. And I'll be tempted, Satan will tempt you to be worried and to be anxious and say, God's not hearing you. God's not blessing you. God doesn't want to take care of you. God, 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 and it'll all be negative. When, and another thing that I need to do when dealing with worry, I got to know how to reframe situations. Reframe it. So when, when, when I say reframe, I'm talking about you look back and for some reason you see this situation the same way all the time. Like, take for instance, uh, again, this is, uh, this, is January, uh, this is July, has rolled around. I can clearly remember exactly the condition I was in this time last year. I can clearly remember. 
right? Barely walking, then finding out about heart failure. But the point is, even though it happened to me, the thing is, I can all I can look at it like, woe is me, and oh, it's terrible, and why God chose me, or I could say, this has happened, but He spared me. Now He spared me for a purpose. I have a greater purpose. Right? And so my purpose has to be something greater than just me. He's going to use me beyond me. This is why he has repaired me. You see that? I, I had to learn that before the first heart attack I had. Because I'll never forget going down to, um, um, to uh, I took Brother Rose, I drove Brother Rose down to Bluefield, West Virginia. And Bluefield, West Virginia, it's a place that half of it is West Virginia, half of it is North Carolina. Like you could be walking through town and step over into North Carolina. And so the thing is, and they call it air-conditioned city because it's between the mountains and the, you always get a nice cool breeze that comes down through there even in the hot summer. And I remember taking Brother Rose down there and I was 29 at the time. And I remember we, was, we were doing door knocking, going up and down those hills and I can remember uh, uh, the angina just strangling me. I can remember it felt like a hand was around my heart and just squeezing it. Choking it off. And I had to stop. Remember, I'm 29. So I'm stopping like this. You know, walking, you know, Brother Rose's little self, you know, he all love 50 pluses running up and down the hill. And I said, Lord, 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 how am I going to preach? How am I going to preach? How am I going to reach? Feeling like this. How am I going to do your will like this? Well, I had a heart attack. Now, I could have looked at that as, how dare you, Lord? Or I could reframe it and say, he answered my prayer because he laid me down, fixed my heart so I can go on a little further. Does that not make sense? He carried me right on. He carried me on another few years. And, and, when they, and my mother tell you, when they fixed it, they said, you only got about a, what, six, seven year warranty on it? That was 2003, that would have been 2009. Here it is, 2017. So when stuff was clogging up and acting funny again, what did he do? Laid me out right in front of the hospital, right in front of the emergency room, with AFib, and fixed it again. And now I can stand before you saying, thanks be to God that he allowed me, a, see, because then here's what they told me, after they did the AFib and all of that, and, and Sister Newsom said, Sister Newsom was like, what? I remember my mom called her, she was like, what? In the hospital room, I hear it through the phone. What? I was just talking to him. He done fell out. No, it's just a news with credit. He done said it. He done fell out. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because so, I, I taught class that morning. Y'all remember, right? Yes. Taught class that morning. You never know. Then the next few moments laid out. Then they fix all that and they tell the doctor tell me. The doctor tells me, he says, you know, there's nothing else we can do uh, internally. He said, there's no more surgery we can do. There's no room. There's nothing else we can reconnect in there. Nothing. What we got to do now is just say, I, I, I can send you to Cleveland Clinic and put you on the list for another heart. There's nothing we can do. He said, nothing we can do invasively, but there is something else. But there is something else. The EECP, where they can do it on the outside and squeeze blood from here up to there to create, to create uh those uh, capillaries. capillaries that go across, right? See there again. Laid me out, but then again, he said, I'm going to fix what you got. 
He said, you know what, that don't seem like that's functioning well enough, so now I'm going to put a defibrillator in. It's going to be a pacemaker and a defibrillator. If you get too slow, we'll kick you back up. Get too fast, we'll break you back down. And I can stand here today and say, as of Monday, I completed the program again. And they tell me that in the upper chamber, I only use it 1% of the time. In the lower chamber, actually it's the lower chamber, I use it 1% of the time. Upper chamber, I use it 9% of the time. Whereas the last time they turned it on and turned it off, they said I was only using it 14% of the time. Which means the rest of the time, my heart is strong enough to beat on its own. Can you not see how God works? Hmm? And I know y'all hear me tell these stories, but I'm saying it's real life. And I'm like Peter, and when they came out of the jail, and they said, don't you go talk about Jesus no more. And they said, no, 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 I, I, I can't help it because I've seen him do too much. So I got to tell the story over and over again because I've seen him do too much. And he keeps on doing it. So then why, oh why, would I ever worry about a single solitary thing? When his hands are so capable. He's so wonderful, and he's so great. And you know what? He'd have been wonderful and great even if he would have called me right then. If I'd have left earth right then, he still would have been every bit of as great and kind. Because he let those golden moments roll on just a little while longer. So why would I worry? Why would I worry? No matter what it is, I'm going to roll on with the Lord. You see? Yes, ma'am. Can I share? Yes. So my youngest son, he normally comes to, you know, work. He normally comes to check it, check it on. So last time I saw him was Thursday. And hadn't seen him, heard him say, I'll be over, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. And I've heard that before, and I'll never come tomorrow. It's maybe a couple days later. And so the week has gone by. Miss Mama's birthday was just yesterday. And so I was asking his brother, because he stays with my, my his brother, um, you know, have you seen Quentin? He said, he said no, he hadn't seen them. So I said, so it was yesterday. And he didn't come to mom's birthday, come to mom's to say happy birthday. And so, you know, I got worried. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a gut riching worry. This is just after I read over the worry lesson. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting this, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, okay. You know, he's grown, let him go. Don't worry about it. But I kept, I kept, then I text my son and said, that kind of worries me that I haven't heard from him. And so my son, I guess he started to investigate himself. And then he said, well, Mom, so-and-so said they saw him this morning. And, you know, so, long story short, I hear the gate squeak, and he came to the house. He came to the house. Mm -hmm. And and it's just like, I'm like, you know, I sit up here and read this lesson on worry, and what I do? I turn around and worry. But I was going back and forth, like, Lord, you know, let it be okay. And then I'm still worried. Mm -hmm. And then to hear your story, and then to say, you know, with the the prayer of, Lord, let him be okay, he comes to the house, and he's yeah. okay. And he explains, and you know, like, he doesn't have a vehicle, 
So he's work, he's with somebody else, and he's got a little job. Mm -hmm. He's not able to mm -hmm. come and visit. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't, his phone is out of order. And so he can't call, because I would tell him that he's okay. Mm -hmm. But in all of that, 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 but you keep telling us that this is all, just put them in God's hands. So I think of all the ways that I can help, like maybe help him get his phone turned back on, mm -hmm. help him do this. I'm saying no. Let the Lord take care of it and so that worry still slipped in. Well, it's because you're mom. Part of it is your mom. And that stuff runs deep. But here's the other thing about that. See, the thing is, Quentin was always coming. See, it wasn't because of the prayer. He was always coming. You know why? Because God willed it so. See, you, you see, you think sometimes we don't wait long enough. And remember, God allows certain things to show us things about ourselves. To show us. He'll use, he'll let Satan do stuff in order to show us there's areas where we still need to humble ourselves, right? And so he's saying, well, he said, he said, let me show you something, daughter. He said, you still, I know you're saying the right things, praying the right things, but in there some way, you're still holding on too tight. And you're in my way. See? And, and now watch this. Now Satan will use it too, right? Because now what you're trying to do is get the other boy back to the Lord, right? So what does the other so what does Satan get you to do? Satan gets you to call the other boy and say, I'm worried. Knowing good and well, Christians, we, we, we can be concerned. But honey, we don't worry. So notice how he will use that. He used the same situation to cause one to trip up. Right? But then also God used it to teach you about you. He was always coming. Quentin was always coming. You know why? Because God had his eyes upon him, and God willed it that he could, that he would live. But Lord used the situation to help you. And then what does Quentin do? He comes in. Did you help him get the job? No. Hush your mouth. <laughs> Think about that. Remember, you talking about helping him on his phone, right? Or did you help him get the job? How did you get the job? Right. See, he did. He got the job without you at all. So the answer to you stepping in, maybe I need. You don't need to do any such thing. He's grown, and he's got to find a relationship with the Lord himself. All you can do is pray that the Lord uh, should it be God's. You pray that God's will be done, and if and if and if He'll extend a little more time for him, then so be it. But Lord, whatever you do is right. See. That's what you need to say when those other thoughts are coming in your mind. That's when you say, Lord, whatever your will is, it'll be right. Because I know you love Quentin more than I do. And I know you know more about Quentin than I do. And you know better, you know best how to deal with him. Because Father's not there, but a Heavenly Father is. So let the Heavenly Father step in. Mama be mama, but stay out of the father's way, if that makes sense. And I have to say that because even, like, like you said, I told you that's a mama. That's what mamas do, right? It grabs mama somewhere deep within and pulls on it. It's like, mama, you know, and I, all I can use is my own mother. You know, and going through all those situations, all she ever said constantly was, Lord, whatever your will is. That it was the one moment when she said, Lord, if you would have wanted him, 
you'd have taken it. But because he's still here, I'm all right with that. You see that? You got to understand that about the Lord. Whenever the Lord wants somebody, there's nothing on earth that can keep them. Nothing can keep them here. No matter what we feel like, when God wants them, they're coming. Right? And that's what she had to tell herself. Lord, he's in your care, as he's always been. You see? And, 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 and if you, I know, I know, I know that if you had wanted him, you'd have pulled him from me. Right then, right then. Because the doctor said he should be dead. But he's still here. You see? Does that make sense, Sister Jackson? So, you see, actually, if you just stop long enough and pump the brakes and listen to what you're hearing, you can hear God. You can hear, when Quentin comes and say, Mom, I got a job. See that? Yeah, he didn't make it for the, but guess what? He just brought you and Grandma a present. One of the presents y'all prayed for him. See? I, I didn't make it for the birthday, but Mama, I got a present for you. I got a job. And Mama, I found a way to come. It wasn't on time, but I got here. On my own. I chose to come. See how you just reframed that? Now, when you look at it that way, what do you think? There you go. And remember how God speaks in that, 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 that still voice. Remember how Sunday we talked about even in the midst of the storm, the captain is still shouting. He's still saying that the line has been thrown. Get the line. Let me bring you in. And you know how God shouts in the midst of the storm? It's called preaching. It's called preaching and teaching. So the captain is in the midst of the storm, but he's still shouting through the waves and everything. The lifeline has been thrown. Make your way to the line, and I'm going to pull you on in. He does that through preaching, through teaching. That's how he reaches us. And he's reaching Quentin a little at a time. As, the, as he opens up, God rushes in. So you got to say, let me, let me just be still and know that he is God. Huh? And know that he, you know, like we sing that song, he is sweet. You know it and I know it. So let's stand back and experience his sweetness. Does that make sense? And see, because you were caught up in your anxiety and your worries, you ignored or didn't hear the message that God sent you. Mama, I got a job. Mama, I'm trying to work. So you let him work. You let him get his own phone. Let him find his own way. And once he starts doing for himself, if in some ways you might be able to assist, you don't throw it out there. You don't look and say, he need help. No, you wait till he asks for it. Let him be a man and ask for help. But don't you go rushing in. Because then what you do, you spread yourself a little thin. And then you become a little more uh, vulnerable to anxiety and worry. So you take care of you. God take care of you. He'll make sure you have what you have so that when time comes, you'll be prepared. Remember how we just read Psalm 37? Know that God is, he, he's patient, patiently wait, patiently wait for God to act. Don't you get started acting. 
as my country folk would say, when you get to acting, <laughs> when you're showing out, you're doing too much. Quit acting. I heard that so many times in my life. So the thing is, just be patient and don't start acting. Your main activity is stay focused on God. Right? And he'll get you ready. Know that even when it doesn't seem like it, God is working. He's working. That's that beautiful unseen hand. Yes, ma'am. 